0: Our sermon text today is coming from Psalm 113. If you want to turn in your Bibles, uh, if you're using one the, of well, the Pew Bibles, sorry I forgot to look at the page number, it's somewhere in the middle. <laughs> uh, with Philip on sabbatical this summer, I, I have the pleasure of preaching a lot more with some guest preachers going to be filling in too. Now they're going to be free to, to preach from whatever scripture they want, but I'm going to focus all of my time on the Psalms. Because for over 3,000 years now, the Psalms have served as the hymn book for the people of God. They are the songs of the covenant community, celebrating the Lord and his faithfulness to his promises to all of his people. They are first and foremost meant to help us in worship, they give words to the praises of God's people, so that each generation who learns them and hears them would know and honor their Creator and Redeemer. But the Psalms, you understand, also serve another function. It's kind of related to the first. They are model songs that help us lean into the world differently. They're shaping songs given to transform our hearts and our minds and teach us how to think faithfully, faithfully, how to live faithfully, how to feel faithfully, how to act faithfully in any season of life. There are psalms of pure praise that focus on the character and the work of the Lord. We're going to consider one of those today. But there are psalms of lament that help us remember and hope in God's goodness even when circumstances are dark. There are psalms of thanksgiving celebrating how God has rescued His people from specific trials in the past. And there are psalms of trust that remember how His faithfulness in the past is the same faithfulness that we rely upon in present, uncertain circumstances and even the uncertain future. There are Psalms of repentance that grieve the deep wrongness of sin. There are Psalms of wisdom that transform our thinking. Royal Psalms that celebrate the King God provides to rule and protect His people. To say it another way, there's a Psalm for every moment in life. And so maybe you've had times when you just didn't really know what to say to God. Maybe you've wondered if what you feel in this fallen world is really valid. Can I express anger toward God? Can I ask Him hard questions about why things are the way they are? Or maybe... You, like me, need frequent reminders of God's good character, that even, even when I'm hurting, His steadfast love really does endure forever. And if that's you, then consider the grace that God shows His people then and now, because these songs of trust and praise and lament, these are your songs They belong to all who know the Lord, who belong to Him. They're your songs when you're scared or tempted, when you're content and quiet, when joy is overflowing or you're sad and confused. And these songs have the power to transform how we think, how we feel, how we worship, how we act in this world as people who know the Lord. The first psalm we'll consider is Psalm 113, a psalm of praise. Let's pray as we come to this word that the Lord would help us to enjoy him together. Let's pray. Father, you are gracious in giving us these words. Father, as you reveal yourself to us in them, help us respond appropriately to you. Father, by your spirit, give us ears to hear and eyes to see and hearts to understand the greatness of your glory and the riches of your grace that you have lavished on us in Christ Jesus, the beloved. In his name we pray. Amen. Psalm 113. Praise the Lord. Praise, O servants of the Lord, praise the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. From the rising of the sun to its setting, the name of the Lord is to be praised. The Lord is high above all nations, and his glory above the heavens. Who is like the Lord our God? who is seated on high, who looks far down on the heavens and the earth. He raises the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes, with princes, the princes of his people. He gives the barren woman a home, making her the joyous mother of children. Praise the Lord. Amen. Praise the Lord. In Hebrew poetry, which the Psalms are, the writer repeats whatever it is he wants to emphasize. And so in verse one, this threefold repetition of praise underscores the theme Shout for joy to the Lord, rejoice if you know him. Boast loudly that you know Him. And so today I want us to think about three facets of what it means for us as people who know the Lord to praise Him. First, we speak well of His name. Second, we celebrate His sovereignty. And third, we delight in His closeness. We speak well of his name. We celebrate his sovereignty. We delight in his closeness. First, think with me about what it means that in verses one through three, those who know the Lord speak well of his name. I want you to notice how his name is referenced three times in this section. Praise the name. Blessed be the name. The name of the Lord is to be praised. To praise or to bless someone's name is simply to speak well of them, to celebrate them and and really encourage others to join with you. But consider with me why it is that he focuses on the name of the Lord. God revealed his name to Moses. Just before the Exodus, as Yahweh, which is out of reverence, spoken as Adonai in the Hebrew or written as the Lord, all caps in your English Bibles, the Lord revealed His name as Yahweh. And in revealing that name, the Lord, God was graciously revealing Himself as the one who is lovingly unshakably committed to his people just as he'd promised to abraham so long before or to say it another way the name yahweh and his covenant-making covenant-keeping character are synonymous his name and his character are one and the same And so as God reveals His name to them, Israel began to know what their God, Yahweh, is really like. And that means first they knew Him as Redeemer. They knew Him as Redeemer as He rescued them from Egypt, as He brought them through the Red Sea and into a new life with Him. As they walked, though, as a redeemed people out of Egypt... And as they listened to God's word given through Moses, they also came to know him as something more than a redeemer. They began to know him as their creator, who had made them for himself in the beginning and had redeemed them so that he might restore them back to their original purpose to live in righteousness with Him, to live in righteousness with each other as His people, and even with creation itself. That's why people who know the Lord and belong to Him and revere Him, that's why we are called to speak well of Him. As Israel then embraced the Lord from the heart by faith, they had become, by His grace, His servants, As they're called there in verse 1. By his gracious covenant with them, they know, they knew that Yahweh was always for them. And so celebrating his name makes perfect sense for them because praise always demands expression. What we love overflows, doesn't it? Into speech and into song. It's like this. You know how people like to name drop at parties about that famous person they saw one time? I made eye contact with Bono at a U2 concert. Oh yeah? I stood behind LeBron James at a gas station. I can top that. Will Ferrell talked to me at a Starbucks. He told me to stop staring at him. If we boast about being close to celebrity, then how much more should we celebrate knowing the Lord, the best of all beings? Because today, this same call to praise the Lord comes to us. And we ought to answer it eagerly because God has, the Lord has revealed Himself not only to us through Moses, but much more fully in Jesus, His Son. The same God who rescued Israel from Egypt has accomplished a better exodus for you and for me because He has rescued us in Christ from slavery to sin and death. Through the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus, He has brought us safely through into a new life with Him. And Jesus, God assures you that His same loving, unshakable commitment is toward you. And knowing Him, we embrace Him by faith from our hearts and we celebrate His name. You know, that's really why we have gathered together here for worship, to praise Him together as His people. As another pastor said, we don't come to a worship service to be entertained, to give musicians or preachers something to do to keep kids out of trouble or to raise money. We don't come out of mere habit or ultimately to evangelize. We come because Jesus is worthy. Everything that we've said, everything that we've done this morning, everything that we've sung this morning is meant to celebrate our triune God, both who He is and what He has done to bring us to Himself. But you also understand praise is not just for Sunday. It isn't only for when we're gathered at His church. Look at verses 2 and 3. The psalmist expands the call. He writes, Blessed be the name of the Lord, from this time forth and forevermore. There is not an hour that passes by in our week that should pass without praise, without Jesus' worth being acknowledged and demonstrated and celebrated. The psalmist writes, From the rising of the sun to its setting, the name of the Lord is to be praised. Whether he's talking again about time, from sunup to sundown, Or whether he's talking about space from the Far East to the Utter West. Whatever he's talking about, what he's picturing is the rightness of making the praise of God the priority of our day. Your whole day, with everything that it entails, whether you are a preacher or a plumber, a professor or a parent... That is the setting for celebrating the glorious truth that you know your Redeemer and your Maker. And that means even the most mundane moments of your life can be like songs to your Savior. Changing the diapers of your children is an opportunity to demonstrate that you know the One who is so lovingly committed to helpless people like us. When you continue to trust Jesus, even amid the painful relationships and the dark valleys of your life, that is praise. When you pursue obedience to His Word amid temptation, that is praise that honors God as God. When you work hard in the task, whatever task, that the Sovereign Lord has put in your hands today, whether it's working to love your neighbors, working to respect bosses that don't deserve it, just trying to do good work because you serve a good Creator, all of that is praise. But when you remember that God has called you together, as his servants, together as his beloved children. When you remember this and you love each other for the sake of him who first loved us, then you are speaking embodied words that demonstrate that you know the Lord and you know him as one worthy of everything. Do you know him? then show it in a life of praise. You know, reminding us of the Lord's name, as the psalmist does in verses 1 through 3, it would be enough to support our praise. But the psalmist goes further still, giving us more reason to speak well of the Lord. Like fuel he's adding to a fire, he adds more reasons to praise the Lord so that our praises will burn brighter and burn higher. In verses 4-6, through he focuses on the highness of the Lord, urging us to celebrate His sovereignty. Because in verse 4, the Lord is not just over Israel, but He is high above all nations. His kingly rule extends even over the Gentiles who do not yet know His name. And in verse 5, He has no equal. The psalmist asks this question, who is like the Lord our God? And the implied answer, of course, is no one. Beyond the repetition of words like high and above, the Lord's high glory is emphasized in verse 6, where it says the Lord looks far down on the heavens and the earth. Now, you understand this is not trying to describe the universe in some scientific way. What's being emphasized here is something like what we see back in Genesis 11. Do you remember the story of the Tower of Babel? How humans were trying to make a name for themselves and build this tower that reached up to the heavens, they said. What they were trying to do is cut the Lord out of their lives and pursue happiness, pursue greatness on their own terms. And they thought that they were doing pretty well, but... What did the Lord do to see what they were up to? How how does it describe what the Lord does? It says, the Lord came down to see the city and this tower that supposedly reached up to the heavens. The Lord came down to see it. And again, this is not trying to describe the universe It certainly is not saying that the Lord is unable to see what's going on. He can. He does see all. The point then and now is simply this. However great people think they are, however powerful, however successful, however much control they're able to exert around them or however much wealth they're able to accumulate, we are far, far smaller than we think we are. We are far weaker than him, far poorer than him. But you understand, this is not a truth that is meant for us to despair over. Rather, this truth of his sovereignty is meant to reorient our hearts and minds to see ourselves clearly, to see ourselves realistically. Because seeing the Lord as He really is, high and lifted up, it always humbles us. And it's always appropriate to be humbled before the Lord. It's it's like whenever someone in the Bible gets a glimpse of God's glory. It's not the happy, uplifting experience that some people imagine that it would be like seeing the lord's glory has a habit of shattering people leaving them like isaiah undone but when you come to know the lord knowing him as the sovereign king is actually further fuel for your praise because if he is sovereign If nothing escapes His sight, if nothing is beyond His powerful control, and if He is true to His covenant-making, covenant-keeping name, then He is a God who uses His sovereign control on behalf of the weak and the poor. What I mean is this. Just as much as we celebrate His sovereignty... We celebrate how He uses it. Here the psalmist adds more fuel to fan the flames of our praise because in verses 7-9, through 9, he leads us to delight in the Lord's closeness to His people. The psalmist says, The one who is high raises the poor out of the dust. The one whose glory is above the heavens lifts the needy from the ash heap. These pictures of defeat, these pictures of mourning. The Lord is the one who comes to them and raises them up. That was the experience of Israel when the Lord rescued them out of Egypt. As they slaved, laid low in the dust of a foreign land and in the ashes of bitter mourning, the Lord saw their helpless state. And he came to them in power. In the book of Samuel, these same words flow from the lips of Hannah after she poured out her soul to the Lord. She had felt deep shame in a culture that made a childless woman feel like less than. But the Lord had made her the joyous mother of Samuel. This is not suggesting that the Lord gives a child to every woman who desires one. But it is showing us that He is the kind of God who takes lowly, helpless people and He reverses their hopelessness with no limit to how high He will lift them up. He will make them sit with princes, He says in verse 8 transporting them, as one writer says, from the extremes of degradation and misery to dignity and privilege. And this is the hope of all who are humble before him. As one pastor said, Only let a person lie in the dust before God and sit like Job upon ashes from an awareness of his own unworthiness, Only let a person do this, and God will instantly fly to his relief. The fuel for praise here is that God shows his tender care closely, personally, to everyone who calls on his name. He is not distant, but he is near to raise his people up. Can you identify yourself? With the low? Can you identify yourself with the needy? Do you feel weak or thin, like butter over too much bread? Do you still acknowledge yourself to be a sinner without hope, except in God's sovereign mercy? If so, then great is your hope, because this God is a God of great mercy. And that powerful promise of his closeness is why this psalm, probably beginning in the time between the Old and New Testament, became closely connected with the Passover celebration. This, with some of the psalms around it, would be sung during the Passover meal. This one in particular sung at the beginning of the meal. As God's people looked back at how God had raised them up in the past, God's people today or then sang believing that He had not changed, even though the darkness around them seemed to grow. And so it's striking then to think that our Lord Jesus grew up singing this song. And it's likely that He sung it on the night that he was betrayed. You see, the reason why this song is now ours is that it was first Jesus' song. Moving toward his cross, Jesus, the true servant of the Lord, who reigned with the Father and the Spirit from eternity and past in glory, the Lord Jesus, whom Isaiah saw in the temple high and lifted up, Jesus has come down to be our Emmanuel, God with us. He himself became poor so that in him we might become rich. He entered into our misery. He took our sorrows upon himself and suffered under our shame. And yet Jesus sang with confidence that the Lord would raise him up out of the dust of death and to be seated once again as the prince, as the king even, of God's people. Only because of God's covenant love for his people, Jesus would not be seated on the throne alone. When Paul considered our needy low state, And God's grace-filled provision for us in Jesus. I wonder if the imagery of this psalm helped him understand what God had done in Christ. Because Paul writes, God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ and raised us up with him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Paul celebrates a deep truth that is fuel for higher praise. You who have received the Lord Jesus, who raises poor sinners, already, already you are raised up out of the dust. Already, Paul says, you are seated with Christ in the heavenly places, with the prince of God's people. And although you and I today, we don't experience the full reality of that, we we are still so needy. There is still so much to mourn in this fallen world. Still, we know that all of this is not the end of our story. Because our God does not change, and He does not fail to keep His promises. Jesus Himself said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Or as Paul writes, God raised us and seated us with Jesus so that in the coming ages... He might show the immeasurable riches of His grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. In the end, what effect does remembering and praising the Lord like this have? Tim, a personal trainer was a friend of mine in North Carolina, and he gifted his services to me as a trainer for six years. Part of his goal for me was the development of something he calls reflexive posture. In a world where many of us sit for hours and hours at a time, it's easy for our bodies to slouch, for our heads to droop down. And so Tim's training aimed at Helping me to keep my head up, to keep my shoulders back and down, to keep my back straight. And I think the psalmist's goal for himself and for us was something similar to this. To begin a week, to begin a day with praise like this. Praise that's focused on the name of the Lord, that celebrates His highness, that celebrates His closeness. And delights in it. To begin a week or a day with praise like this corrects our heart posture. Seeing the Lord's powerful closeness lifts up heavy hearts. Because we know He's with us to save us. Training ourselves each day to remember Christ's faithfulness. Causes us to live with our heads up and our backs straight expecting Him to continue in His unshakable commitment to us. And the more that we look beyond our circumstances to see our glorious Lord who has moved toward us in Christ Jesus, the more our hearts are trained to have a reflexive posture of praise and to help us look beyond our circumstances. I know that you come today with heavy loads that you carry, but to help us look beyond our circumstances, to even have hope in the midst of them. Looking back to Jesus' cross and looking forward to His coming, Jesus gave us this meal. In it, you can see and taste and touch and be strengthened to believe again that Jesus left his throne above. He laid his glory aside for a moment and laid himself so low into the dust so that you and I might be raised up with him. He made himself homeless and bereaved so that we could have a home with him. This is the place from which you may draw fresh strength for your week to step back into even difficult circumstances with hope because you know the Lord through the name of Jesus and we celebrate his sovereignty and delight in his closeness to us and by his spirit's power working through this meal that you eat by faith in him the Lord himself will lead you back into the everyday, into the ordinary, into the mundane even into the pain of this coming week with great hope. Because his promise is to be with us. And his welcome, and he welcomes all who trust in him to this table. However poor, however needy, however sinful we may be. As we come to him in faith, he has made us princes, royal subjects in his kingdom. So today, if you hear Jesus' voice and you hope in him, If you repent of your sins and rely on the Lord Jesus, come to this table. This isn't Trinity's table or our denomination's table. This is the Lord's table. It's for all those who have been baptized into Christ and made a public profession of faith within Him by joining themselves to His church. But if that isn't you right now, I would encourage you to... Simply let these elements pass by. The Lord Himself says it would be better for you not to eat and drink of these things, because it's no small thing to come to Jesus Christ, uh, to come to Jesus' table apart from faith in Him. But let me encourage you to do this. While you see these elements pass by, the bread and the cup, these emblems of Christ's body given for His people, ask God to help you see. Jesus, the one who is high and lifted up, but who is content to dwell with the lowly and the contrite. Let's pray. Father, we do come to You celebrating Your great love and faithfulness that You have demonstrated. Lord, thank You for showing Yourself to us as a God who is trustworthy at all times, as a God who cares so deeply for the needy and the poor that he uses his power and his glory and his authority to rescue us, to raise us up. And Lord, you have done this through the work of Jesus, our Lord. And so as your people, in his name, we humbly ask that you would, by your spirit, set apart these elements for our good, so that as we eat and drink the body and blood of our Savior by faith, our souls would be strengthened to stand firm and to praise you until Christ comes. This we ask to the praise of your glorious grace, O God, and in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.